Hey, hey, this is Richie coming at you from the School of Marketing HQ. Before you dive into the show, I just want to tell you about a brand new short 12-week program we've launched called the Giants Marketing Masterclass. The program gives you access to insights and expert comments from over 25 CEOs and CMOs from major companies like Unilever, L'Oreal, M&S, Pret, and WPP, just to name a few. We focus on six key areas of marketing, customer, brand, commercial, creative, channel, and data and analytics. So if you were looking to upskill yourself or your team for just two and a half hours each week and get access to a network with our industry's giants through our live sessions, do check out the School of Marketing website for more deets. Alrighty, for now, enjoy the show. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this Friday's show. Hope you're doing okay. For those in the UK, obviously we're now into lockdown two, although for many, perhaps in tiers two and three, lockdown has been a thing for a while. So who, uh, who doesn't need a bit of a shot in the arm? And today we're really grateful and honoured to have Pete Markey with us. Uh, I've known Pete for a number of years. Um, he's actually been a, a sort of an opponent or a competitor uh, for one, when we were in uh, the same sector together. But I, I, I'm so delighted to have perhaps one of the most decorated marketers in the UK on the show. Uh, so Pete is currently CMO at TSB, which is an enormous role in an enormous company. But he's really, uh, you know, a huge amount of experience. In, uh, in marketing roles, worked at British Gas, AA, OneTel, more than RSA, Post Office, Aviva, which is where we were uh, competitors. Um, but he's been, as I said, much decorated. Uh, so he's a fellow of the Charles Institute of Marketing, the Marketing Academy, the Marketing Society, uh, and won many awards. But I think what's uh, almost a contradiction is how humble Pete is. Uh, and he's a very honest and straightforward guy, a genuinely lovely guy. So uh, Pete, we are really delighted to have you on the show. And, um, you know, I can't think of a better person to sort of lift people's spirits a little bit. So uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Great. Thank you for having me on, guys. Yeah, so um, I'll hand over to you, Richie, and you get us, get us started. Thanks, Mark. And it's, it's awesome to have you on with us this morning. Thank you so much for taking some time. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure it's going to be that shot in the arm that we all need. Perhaps not the va- quite the vaccine, but I'm sure many other anecdotes coming coming your way to everyone who's joined us this morning. Pete, let's kick off um, with the first question. How's the last couple of months been for you? I think it's been uh, interesting and challenging, hasn't it, for all of us? And um, it's been a period of real adaption. I've never known, I guess, such pace of change and evolution probably in my entire career or my life, really. So um it's been, you know, that early period of lockdown, throwing ourselves into working from home, new ways of working, new ways of connecting, coming out of lockdown, doing bits where you're able to reconnect, get together with people, grab that coffee from Costa I've missed for six months, and then we'll sort of we'll find ourselves back in lockdown again. But it's been, I mean, the constant theme has been change, I think, Richie, and just just adapt, change and, and adapting and, and keeping fleet of foot and just um, riding, I guess, riding some of that emotional roller coaster because it's, it's not been an easy few months, has it? I don't think for any of us. No, absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree more with you on that on that front. Um, I mean, perhaps talk about a, some, some of your, your the highs and lows of what you felt, things that may take away and keep with you when things perhaps go back to our new normal. Yeah, so I think in terms of highs, I mean, the, the human spirit of people coming together, um, both, I think, as we've seen in the country with, with the likes of the NHS, but also you know, for us as a team, with you know, we, we were able to produce TV ads, new assets, get them out in two weeks, find new ways to get stuff done. Um, and as a business, just some of the way uh, we, you know, and the industry, banks as a whole, actually being able to meet 
customer needs during a really difficult time, I think it's been you know, quite, quite inspiring. Um, so now I, I, think, I think that's been a real high, the, the coming togetherness, the, the spirit of that coming together. I think, you know, where, where would the lows be? Yeah, I think it's, it's hard, I think, when you, I, I get a lot of energy by being around people. And I've really missed that human connection. And video calls are great and they go so far. But I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to do it. We were filming some TV ads a couple of weeks ago and just living in a bubble and being with people again for that week. You know, that I, I, I genuinely, at the end of the week, I said, this has been one of the best weeks of my life. And I think one of the reasons it was, was because it was just amazing, the connection with people again, the energy you got from sitting with people and bouncing ideas and being around people that somehow I think, you know, remote video access and stuff doesn't quite capture that as well. So I've missed the human contact. So that's probably one of the things I'm looking forward to most when we come through this current period. You talk about um, best weeks of your life. Is that probably also because you felt like you were on Friends for a week or something? Yeah, so it, it's, um, yeah, we, we were, well, it's, it, it, it leaked uh, about a week or so ago in the Sun and the Mail that um, we're working with David Swimmer from Friends. And um, he was great, you know, really great guy to work with. I mean, we, we had quite a build up to this because we were originally supposed to shoot earlier on in the year. So we've been talking to David for quite a while now. But um, he's just a great guy to have around. And I think you, you, you sort of spend the early days kicking yourself thinking that, yeah, golly, I, I, I grew up watching this guy and, and watching him be funny and brilliant. But he's lovely. And, and he, we were all slightly different bubbles. So I interacted, uh, interacted with him two or three times during the week. But what a great guy to work with. And he brings a lot of fun and energy. And he's a real... I think he's a director, he's sort of a consummate professional. So he was always looking over for validation on this shot, right? Are you happy? Did we get it just right? Can we try it a slightly different way? So actually it's quite interesting working with an actor that is also a director because it gives him a different angle or a different eye on things. But no, I'm pleased to say for all the David Schrimmer fans out there, he is as lovely in real life as you have seen him portray on screen in, in some of his many characters. And now he literally is going to be on a break. See what I did there? I'm so pleased with myself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we, we've all been tested in many, many ways, uh, you know, and, and obviously a very sort of personal uh, experience for everybody. Um, but but of, as a leader, you've got a big team. And, and so as a leader, what, what do you think you've learned about yourself as a leader through this roller coaster that we've been on? I think the biggest part, Mark, has been... Um, and I think that this is almost inherent in every leader, but often I think as leaders, we forget the balance between the day job of, of the tasks we're all doing and the very human side of us as people and what motivates us, where we get our energy and, and what we're doing in our lives. And I think those two things have almost perfectly collided during the last sort of six, seven, eight months. And I think that's been good. You know, and actually the early days when, you know, particularly when kids couldn't go to school and you'd be doing calls with team members and kids would be wandering around the background and, you know, stuff going on at home you kind of go, that just became beautifully normal. And I really like that because this collision of, of home and work just had to happen. And it was almost nice to see it happen, you know? And I think, so my learning is we deliberately did things like set boundaries around the working day. So said, look, we won't have calls after a certain time in the day because that's when people want to sit with their kids and have family tea time. Actually, we'll try not to put calls in around a lunch period. So yeah, and actually just to try and set some boundaries so people could create a divide between work and home because often it was hard to do that. And then, you know, more of a conscious effort to really watch out for each other. So one-to-ones became half about how you're doing, how's the family, and half about the sort of transactional day-to-day because it was as important to check in and still is on people's mental health and well-being and how people are feeling as it is about the next campaign or whatever you know, we're working on. And that particularly struck me when um, it's always a danger, isn't it? You know, I, I, 
I'm lucky I live in a house, I have a garden, I have my family at home with me. That's not unique to everyone. You know, I've got people in my team that, that are maybe you know, in a flat on their own, you know, in quite different situations. So people's energy levels and the people around them are quite different for each of us. So that need to watch out for one another has become more important. So it's certainly, you know, for me, I think that, that collision between homework has been a good thing. And I think for us as a you know, broader marketing leadership community, it's made us, I think, far more empathetic uh, and far more um, supportive probably as a team. Not that we weren't before, but I, I think it's, it's deeper than that level of support from where it was probably a year ago. Yeah. So um, uh, let's, let's go back to the beginning of this amazing career that you're, you, you've had and are having. Um, many people sort of fall into marketing. Others knew that was their sort of their, their chosen path from, from their earliest years. What, what was your, your route into marketing, Pete? It's, uh, it's an interesting story, Mark. I'm probably not ever, ever told this before, but now I, I, when I went to university to do a degree in corporate communications, I actually wanted to be a journalist or work in broadcasting. And I actually did quite a lot of university radio. I even had my own show on hospital radio. Um, and hospital radio was quite an eye-opener, um, doing a show on a Sunday. And so I, I really saw myself in broadcasting. Um, so um, when I left university, I had a choice, actually, because I, I, I looked at going to public relations. I got offered a job in a, a, a top PR firm called uh, Conan Wolfe, I think still based in, in, in London, um, in Farringdon area. And, um, and the chance was go in, do that. I had to go and do a proper interview and a presentation, got selected. And... Um, my then girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife of 23 years, was staying on in Southampton. I had this sort of dilemma of, do I stay in Southampton and make this relationship work? Or do I go and do this high-flying career in PR? And I turned the PR job down to stay with my girlfriend, which at the time people thought I was nuts. And so I ended up working in British Gas in the call center just to earn some money. So I literally finished uni, I turned this big job down, went to work answering phones at British Gas, and actually through my time at British Gas, I just threw myself into working with the PR and comms team. So I used to write articles for Staff Magazine. I then was involved in training people on a new billing system. And through that, I was able to apply for a job in marketing. And my first job was a marketing analyst, analyzing the performance of British Gas's campaigns and their sales activity. And that got me into a wider marketing career in British Gas. So interesting, whilst my degree was about marketing, I kind of fell into it by virtue of that time at British Gas. And when I started at British Gas, I generally thought this is a summer job. I'll do it for a few months until the next thing sort of comes along. Um, but no, I, I sort of uh, yeah, stayed in Southampton for different reasons and the career sort of uh, went in a different direction as a result, but I've no regrets, been a good move. I, I love that. I, I love that, that thought that actually, you know, there's, you know, all of us are sort of almost been primed, especially sort of living in London to kind of follow the career and, you know, to kind of get into the rat race and, and, and climb the ladder and actually, you know, the success that you've had has actually come through almost following something very different, a very different motivation as to how you actually came and did and went in and kind of, you know, started on, on a different path. And I think that's, that probably is very refreshing for a lot of people out there. And certainly is for me that actually it doesn't always have to be always about the career. It could be about other things that actually help. And then the career kind of actually, as, as your perfect demonstration of comes to life beautifully. Um, Pete, I've, I've got a question from uh, Tim Roberts, um, and he talks about the, the notion that you've obviously changed uh, sectors a number of different times. Um, how has that been for you? How, have you? how were you able to navigate those different sectors? Um, and, and what advice would you have for people in that area? Yeah, great question. Really good one. Um, I think for me, there's, there's a danger sometimes in being pigeonholed in certain areas. It doesn't mean don't stay in a job a long time. I mean, I, I, I spent eight years in my initial 
period of working in insurance. And I love insurance and, you know, I know Mark's doing a brilliant job of direct lines, a great sector to be in. For me, I always saw my career being more about being a marketer who happens to work in certain industries rather than a career professional in a certain sector. So as I say, I found my way into utilities and um, love that. But the, the business I worked in, Centrica, didn't just own British Gas, they owned VAA, they owned a telco company, OneTel. So, you know, often you find if you work in a company that is like a group, you can move within that group, which is really effective way, I think, of giving yourself knowledge of different sectors. So from selling, it's always the rock and roll industries I started in, from selling energy cover and, um, and uh, British Gas sold this product called Kitchen Appliance Cover, which was CAC for short. So we used to say, how many CAC sales could you make? So, so the Kitchen Appliance Cover, HEC Home Electrical Cover, then into Breakdown Cover, then into Broadband and Mobile, um, all in the same company. But the move to insurance after that was a really conscious one to want to work in a different sector that was quite different to utilities, quite different to, uh, to, to Broadband and Mobile. Um, so I've always viewed those moves as being a chance to stretch yourself. Plus also, I guess, not be overly typecast. Um, and that's like a description for actors, but I've never wanted to be typecast to going, look, there's Pete Markey, he's the you know, utilities marketer or he's the insurance marketer. I wanna be good in those areas, but I wanna have enough breadth in my career and what I'm doing that I can move between sectors and, and, and do slightly different things. And so probably the biggest example of that was moving to post office to get retail experience you know, to, to go and work in, in a retail environment with a, a business with 11 and a half thousand outlets, just to, to, to have a different, um, and working retail is quite different. It's a different trading environment. It's a different rhythm. So I'd, I'd, I'd encourage everyone to look for diversity in their career, but it doesn't mean that, you know, staying in a business for a long period is wrong. As I say, my eight years at Royal Sun Alliance were incredible. I loved it and I wouldn't have changed it for the world. But, you know, there are moments when, you know, for me personally, I felt it was right to get different experience and to stretch myself a bit a bit more. Yeah, um, uh, I'm just going to leap back one w one moment uh, to say what a, a lovely story about you essentially cementing your future life partner um, through that decision, and and you, and you must have accumulated infinite brownie points through that very act. I, I must. <laughs> so I well, you were playing the long game, I guess. So. <laughs> I must have been. I, it was it was scary though, Mark. I remember I was, I was in a house with four other people at the time, and one guy said to me, he "said you know, Pete, you." you've blown it you've completely blown your career and that that stays with you You have a moment of like what have I done although look, it's very easy hindsight isn't it you look back and go all the right choices at the time it's blooming scary um but you know sometimes you you know it's, isn't it a head and heart isn't it Mark and I think there's moments when actually it's right to run with your heart you know maybe your head follows after do you know that's that's such a good thing a good thing you said out loud there which is that um some decisions are made from the head some from the heart and I think actually the process in your own mind of recognizing and registering whether I want to make a head or a heart-based decision often can liberate some of the most toughest life decisions we have. So that would be very helpful to, for everybody to hear. Um, so, so you've, you know, in, in the rearview mirror, it looks extremely well orchestrated and I'm sure it was, but are there any times when, you know, it didn't go to plan, you, you had a setback or, or fell out of your depth in some way? Yeah, I mean, I've actually been made redundant in my career three times. Uh, twice I was happy about and one that, that wasn't you know, desirable. And so if I focus on that one to start with, I, I, so I had this career at British Gas and it felt like, you know, things were going on the up. I was in the marketing team. I'd then, you know, done the brand. I'd done uh, digital and direct. And I got offered a job at the AA. And actually the AA had decided to get into golf, which is slightly odd for a business that fixes cars by the side of the road. But they had this project called Golf England. And the chairman of the AA liked golf, golf, so he did a deal with the English Golf Union to set this entity up to go and basically sell a loyalty scheme into golf clubs. 
And it was just a train wreck of a project. And I, I took it um, for two reasons. One is because I wanted to work in a different sector, but it actually was very near my home. My son had just been born and it was like, great, a 10 minute car ride. I was previously driving like nearly two hours each way each day. And so it sort of fitted lifestyle wise. But the project was just a disaster. It was underfunded. The IT was just pretty awful. And it just hadn't really been thought through. And the whole thing, it eventually took two years to unravel, but I was in it a year and got made redundant after that year. And um, it was very hard, but when you're in a business and you're in a project that seemed to fail, I remember then going, being told I was being made redundant and going for an interview for a job at the AA. And the two people that interviewed me in the first five minutes, they looked at my CV and went, oh, you were part of that failed golf project. If we'd known that, we wouldn't be interviewing you. And you go, okay, well, that's great, isn't it? So you, you suddenly get labelled with this project of being something that's failed. So I had this career that felt on the up to a moment of being associated with something that was, was a complete a car crash. And so thankfully, um, an old boss of mine from British Gas had just moved into, into one tell the telecoms arm. And he heard about what was going on. He, he gave me a call and said, look, talk me through what's happened. And he said, look, I can tell from this that this, this, this business, and he'd also heard behind the scenes that the, that the project was not good. He said, look, come and have a chat, come and have a coffee. I've got some stuff I need to do over here at One Tell that I think you'd be really good at. So I came and had the interview and got the job there. And, and you know, he's a guy called Ian L. Mockadam, who's a brilliant guy. Uh, and also a guy called Mike Holliday-Williams, who I know Mark, you've worked with, both of whom brought me into One Tell. And if I'm honest, I owe them so much because that was a, a saving moment in my career, which which was quite difficult. And, and the, the One Tell job really, I guess, rejuvenated me, having felt like I'd, I'd failed on that project. So... Um, so look, I, I, do I regret going to AA? No, because I, I think all, you learn from all those bits, but it, it's hard picking yourself up from something that's perceived to have failed, learning from it, dusting yourself down and, and moving on. Um, I'll just give you one other example I had, and, and I know Mark, you and I have talked behind the scenes on this. I had quite a difficult year at Aviva before I joined TSB. It's the only other job I spent a year in. And um, I came into Aviva, which is a super business. It's a big global brand, a big insurance brand, but... It, culturally, it just wasn't really working for me. I was involved with a, a big digital project, a digital garage that um, just, you know, there's a lot of tension in the business between the sort of tech part that was trying to disrupt and the core business itself. And that disruption, uh, which was partly intentional, just caused huge friction in the business and huge cultural clashes. And it just was not a place that I enjoyed, you know, working. It wasn't an environment I enjoyed working in. And thankfully, again, you know, when TSB came along, yeah, that was exactly the right fit. So I guess two learnings there. One was that how do you pick yourself up from failure? And the second one was, you know, if you're in an environment that, that you're just not enjoying and a job you're not enjoying, don't feel afraid to press the, the ejector seat and go and do something else. And that was my big thing at Aviva is actually, you know, go and do something that you enjoy. You know, whatever pays the bills is one thing, but find a job where you get out of bed and you're energised and you love it, not one where you go, look, this just isn't quite right for me. Thanks, Peter. That's, that's a perfect example of so many people that Richie and I have had the privilege of interviewing where the career is, is never a straight line thing. Um, and, and we, you know, that's, um, I think, so important to know. Everyone imagines it's got to be perfect. And as soon as it's imperfect, it's ruined. And that's just so not the case. Um, so through that, you, 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 you've got an inner steeliness in you. Um, it's evident. Where do you think that comes from? I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, a couple of thoughts, really. I, I, I've got the core same group of close friends I've had probably since my university days. I'm still very close to the people I went to school with. And so the people that have known me the longest 
know me for me regardless of what job I do. So my and this is the same for my family is my grounding is in is not in my identity as a CMO or a marketing director of any particular business. And I know it's an odd thing to say, but often our identity gets formed by the jobs we do. And so mine is far more in, I guess, who I am. So I, I can able to separate the two. And that steeliness therefore comes across that if you get whilst those knocks at work are difficult and look, you know, we can and we do, and I do take stuff personally at, at times, actually the ability to separate that and say, look, you know, find some inner peace and go, look, I'm okay. You know, not in an arrogant way, but I'm at peace with myself. And then therefore I can move forward through all these challenges because of the strength and support I've got around me, even, even in or outside of a work situation. And that, but that's been formed, I think, Mark, by experiences like the, the Golf England AA experience of kind of, Suddenly, when your, your, your work world is ripped from you, you suddenly have to, and I think we've all felt this a bit in COVID, when our world gets rocked, where, where are our foundations? Where are our foundations? What are the things you can cling to, the things around you that matter? And I, I found that you know, in all sorts of ways, but having you know, a good core group of friends and good family, people that, that care about you, and also people that can be frank and honest with you really matters. But some of that also comes from my kids. I mean, my son's 19, he's, he's trained to be an actor, my daughter's 13. Being frank, they couldn't care what job I do. And, um, and they take the mick out of me all the time. And, and actually, that's just brilliant because there's no room ever, I think, to, I don't, I'm not a fan of egos, but you can never have one when, when you're constantly being dragged, dragged down to earth by your own family, which, uh, which certainly helps. Um, but I do think it's a combination of that, Mark. And sometimes when you be, get through it, experiences make you stronger, don't they? I think actually, you know, I like what you said a minute ago, if it was just a straight line, I don't think you develop that steeliness. Actually, it's the knocks and how you get back from the knocks that develop that steeliness because you've then got reference points. And I remember the Aviva experience was, was hard but easier because I had reference points going, oh, I remember when I did this before and I did that. Um, and actually, TSB has been great. TSB has almost been like the greatest hits of my career where you, you, know, you go, oh, yeah, I've done that before. I can draw on that. Yeah, done that. Yeah, draw that down. And actually, the longer you go in your career, whilst every new job and opportunity is challenging, there are more and more reference points you can draw off of things or experiences. It's the same when you work with difficult people. You go, oh, I've worked with I've worked with someone like you before. I remember when I did this and this. And all those things become slightly easier when you have those reference points in mind. Uh, that's that, that's some that's some lovely uh, insights right there. And uh, it's clearly evident that you know you have. As, as you demonstrated, sort of, sort of an inner peace. But of course, you don't take yourself too seriously either. And as part of that, you wanted to kind of stretch yourself even further and take on the improv stuff that you did. I guess perhaps this time last year, something around this this time when you were when you went when you a, a full blown production with a number of other CMOs and and marketing directors. Why why what and how um, did you decide to go into that? Yeah, it's another bad one, Richie, this one. So I was queuing up to buy my annual rail pass at my local station, um, which is a very boring job if you ever have to do it. And there's a poster on the wall about come and learn improv comedy at the local theatre. And our local theatre, the archway, is based underneath the archway of the station. So literally right there. And I looked and thought, you know what? I'm up for that. And there's two couple of reasons. One is that it had at that point been 10 years since I finished my MBA. And I was sort of in the mode of kind of, why should I do more learning again, more academic stuff? I sort of thought no because the MBA nearly finished me off uh, and um, and the second reason is because my son's an actor I didn't want to tread on his toes but I thought you know I've always had a good relationship with him but how can I build a bridge as he's growing up into his world of doing something that he does but but isn't quite what he does 
And so I went for the first lesson and, um, and fell in love with it. And improv, for people that don't know, so stand-up is quite different. Stand-up is where you, you have a routine, you write, you deliver that, and you're on your own, basically. And so you, you kind of succeed or you um, uh, don't succeed, you know, based on, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what, how good your material is. Whereas with improv, it's, it is all improvised. So you might have techniques you use, but the whole setting of who are you, where are you, who are you talking to, what's this about, is all, is all quite literally made up on the spot. And so I fall in love with it, Richie, as, as a craft, because it's about thinking on your feet, but it's also about working with others. It's not a selfish craft, whereas I think stand-up is about you, not that selfish, but the spotlight's on you. And improv, the spotlight's on the group of you. And if you're doing a scene and you you know, you, you try and dominate it and the whole scene fails, you know. So as an example, Richie, if you and I were doing a, a scene together and you said, Pete, it's brilliant being on the beach. And I said, Richie, no, it's not. I hate the beach. I've just killed the scene. Whereas Richie, if you say, Pete, it's great being on the beach. And I go, yes, and it's so good, Richie, because we can have an ice cream and ride a donkey and do the big wheel. Suddenly the whole scene opens up. And so actually, you know, working together is really important. So I started to write a couple of articles then, one for Marketing Week, one for Marketing Society, because I'd learned so much and I found that I was able to apply this sort of spontaneity to the day job. And I saw, and I was finding, having written that, that more and more people were talking to you about improv. And I thought, well, if I've benefited from it and it's helped my confidence and my spontaneity, what if other CMOs could do the same thing? And so I, I was able to rope in nine other CMOs. And in January of this year, we did eight weeks, so eight lessons across eight weeks. And then the ninth week put on a show for Comrade Relief, where we raised 30,000 pounds for Comrade Relief. It's all connected to the Fantastic Marketing Academy. Um, but it was, it was a very scary process because, you know, as I say, on that ninth week, apart from me, for all the other uh, uh, nine CMOs, they'd never done improv you know, just a couple of months before. And suddenly we're putting on a show 120, 130 odd people uh, in the performance. But the bit I loved most, it, it was great getting to know Comet Relief. It was great to raise the money. But what I loved was the learning journey of, of seeing what happened to people through the process and people saying, actually, I feel happier because I'm doing this. And I actually, it's, it's giving me different things to talk about at home or, um, you know, and, and, and that whole journey and experience for people was amazing. And we're, we've become a very close knit group. We've got our own WhatsApp group and the people are, who were part of this journey are, are very, very good friends of mine now. And uh, that's part of the beauty, I think, of improv. And, and um, so I'll give you just one final anecdote, Richie, that, that, that um, we had one less. I thought the group would bond in about four weeks. I thought I'd give it time, you know, and um, walked away from lesson one. Bear in mind, most of these people had never met before walking out of McCann where we, we did the lessons and um, McCann's old office and, um, and people talking to one another going, that was so good. I feel like I've known you for years. And, and actually what's funny is they barely had a conversation, no conversation about what job do you do? Where do you live? What do you, what, what, what do you do, et cetera? It was all about having fun, laughing with each other and learning a common skill. So there's a lot to be said for that, to build confidence and build connection relationships. So, so I know it won't be everyone's cup of tea, but if you want to, learn something new improv comedy is, is a beautiful skill and actually there are a lot of um these fantastic theater groups who are doing this online at the moment so um dingbats improv who uh, i'm involved with do lessons every monday night it's only five pound it's on online uh, it's on zoom if people are interested and there are other courses like that um, there's the may days down in brighton so if people are interested it's just a great skill to have um, it's also i've also found richie that it's something 
people have wanted to talk to me about um, because it's different and because it's interesting and because for a lot of people it's quite scary. But you know, look, I, th I think doing something scary is not a bad thing. I think it, all these things stretch you and, and help your development journey. So, so Pete, um, I, I never thought of it like that. Stand-up is potentially quite a sort of a negative, a yes but, whereas improv is more of a yes and. And so it seems seems so uplifting in a way. I, I was at the, the show that you did. Uh, it's absolutely brilliant. All, all credit to you. Uh, and I would also remember it for another thing. That was the first time when I was pre-lockdown where I met somebody and, and they wouldn't shake my hand because of co this, this COVID thing was coming. I remember thinking, weirdo. Um, you know what you and then look look where we are we haven't been in an office for seven months so anyway they, they were they were ahead of me um we've got, we've got a really good question from from Richard Brown hi Richard uh long, long time no see um hi Pete do you think that increased empathy and concern you talked about in relation to your team over the year has made you all better better marketers uh, maybe more seeing your targets as people rather than customers well, that's a great question Richard yeah I like that yeah, I guess the journey sort of flowed together, really. So what, what they sort of flowed on top of each other rather than one leading to the other. So at that same time, as I was describing earlier on, our marketing was shifting gear to focus far more on helping customers. Not that we weren't before, but when you, you've got quite a big acquisition gear that you're driving, to shift that completely into customer support was quite a move for the team. So we weren't unique in this, but we filmed ads in people's homes using our staff, we didn't do it on Zoom. We sent high quality camera equipment in. There was a director the other side of the screen directing people. Um, and also just, you know, we use social listening and research to determine the key themes of what to talk to customers about. Um, and that involved letters, emails, SMS. We launched this chat facility, TSB Smart Agent Online. We put the our, uh, three ads in rotation out there as well with our TSB colleagues front and center stage. And we did see a big positive shift in trust and empathy scores as a result. So I think it was the two things overlapping. I think for that whole period, you know, we, we've become that way, but also our communications have shifted gear in that direction more as well and more towards more and more towards customer support, um, uh, which I think particularly through that early part of lockdown was so key and, and remains key now. That's great. That's a great, great uh, thinking there, there, Pete. I actually want to turn the conversation a little bit towards sort of what people are saying is the lost generation now in these current times. Um, and, you know, I see it's completely tragic that a lot of young people have either had their opportunities pulled from under the carpet um, or actually those opportunities just disappear um, in its entirety. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on, you know, if, if you were giving advice to, to young people today about forging ahead in a career in these times, especially with this sort of, you know, this, this clearly virtual thing that's happening, um, what kind of things would you, would you say to them? Yeah, I, I'm with you, Richard. I, I share that concern. I mean, we've just got involved with the Marketing Academy Foundation who um, uh, bring people from um, uh, difficult, challenging backgrounds into marketing. So we're going to have two apprentices starting in the TSB team from January. Um, and if people don't know about the Marketing Academy Foundation, find out about it because it's just a great way of getting people into, into marketing. Um, I still think marketing is a brilliant career to get into, particularly because there are so many ways into it, whether it's the creative industry side or even media and data now. Um, you know, so I think I find your sweet spot of the thing you're most interested in and double down on it at the moment. I think the, for me, the area that excites me most in the industry is about data, digital analytics. 
but it doesn't mean that's exclusively what it's about. There's still a huge need for great research professionals, you know, great experts in brand, creative and strategy, a strategy more important, I think, than ever. Um, so advice would, would, would be double down on it, but look, but look for, I guess, look for those roles, look for those opportunities that, again, are going to stretch you and give you breadth in your career. So get really good at what you do, but look for those opportunities where you can learn in other ways around the business. Um, the, the best marketers I've worked with are incredibly curious at whatever level they are about the business they're in um, and look for opportunities to, to learn and get involved with projects. And, you know, I, I talk a lot to my own team about ripping up your job description. And by that, I'm, I mean, um, not to be disrespectful, but don't, don't often I think job descriptions are seen as people draw a thick black line with a Sharpie around it and go, I do this job and that's it. I think it's really dangerous. My view is that's a guardrail. So yeah, that's what you're doing, but ultimately where else can you add value? What other impact can you have in a business? What other opportunities can you make, both to expand your career but make your mark on the business? So um, I'll share a slightly silly story from my time at British Gas. But I, I said, gone into British Gas. I was, an, I was a junior analyst in the business. I was working in the head office in Staines on London Road at the time. And I, again, I was working very closely with the internal comms team because we sat next to each other. And we just launched a credit card called the Goldfish Card. And so the, the, the comms director um, approached me and said, look, Pete, we've got the, the leaders conference tomorrow. The top 150 leaders in British Gas across the UK are together. And I need someone to dress up as a goldfish to run into the room and uh, you know, shout the goldfish cards launched and you hand out flyers, high five people and run out of the room again. And I thought, this is nuts. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. So I, I dressed up as a life-size goldfish with orange tights and big orange shoes and went and did it. And it was nuts. And people thought I was nuts. But for the next six months after that, people kept coming up to me in the canteen and going, are you the goldfish guy? And um, oddly, it sort of put me on the map. And I, I just use that as a silly story. But you know, I say, look for your goldfish moment. You know, what are those kind of funny little moments in your career where people ask you to do something that's maybe a little bit out of the ordinary or outside the day job or opportunities you can find to, to, to kind of expand your career, work in other areas, push yourself? Um, I'd look for those. And then finally, I think on this one, Richie, back to things like the improv comedy is what other learning can you bring outside of work? And it may be qualifications, CIM, Mark Ritson's mini MBA marketing is superb, but other other things, other crafts you can bring that, that help to grow you as a person uh, and you know, don't stop learning. I, I just want to pick up on something that, you know, clearly what you've been able to achieve besides a stellar career has also been able to pick up on some really great personal branding opportunities. Um, and, you know, the goldfish one epitomizes that, quite frankly, because it's given, and, and I guess that's what marketing stand, you know, marketing is all about, right? It's that that standout, it's that creativity, putting yourself in in the shoes of of perhaps where other people wouldn't, wouldn't go. Um, so do you have any sort of hints, tips around, say, personal branding, standing out, and perhaps even guerrilla ways of, of being able to navigate yourself into organizations and situations that perhaps a formal job application would never give you? Yeah, I, I think having you should have a narrative about who you are and what you do and the role of the team you're in as well. And that's really important in any marketing team, any business. And that's not an arrogant way. I mean, I, I, I've worked with people that are being frank. I've worked with people that are arrogant who sort of, you know, big about, look at me, look at me. This is not what we're describing here, Rich, is it? I think this is about, I think if you get in a business and you do a really good job, don't feel afraid to talk about that good job. So I'll give you an example, is right? So, it, you know, with any boss I've worked with, there, there, you know, I could go, you know, I could go and present to a boss and go, you know, I, you know, try and put the spotlight on me. What I tend to do is go, I want to talk to you about this project and the results. 
Yeah. Now, often that's also as much about the team. So right now I'd also bring team members and go let them present it, let them get the spotlight on them and get the credit for the work they've done. But it's about finding those moments to talk up, you know, what you're doing. Obviously, you can only do that if you've got good results. So step one is go in and do be amazing and then talk about what you've done that's amazing in a way that, that focuses on the work, not on you, if that's a, a good way of describing it. But often we forget those opportunities and we just end up on this sort of hamster wheel in work of just getting stuff done and, and forgetting to stop, look back, celebrate and go, well, let's talk about that. You know, so having this narrative is really important. Is, you know, what are the things that you're known for? And I, I think a lot when I, when I look at people's CVs or LinkedIn profiles, any role you're in, I, I, I would look at any role you're in and go, when I leave this job, it's an odd thing to say, when I look back on what I've done, what are the things I want to have achieved and how do I do that? You know, what campaigns do I want to launch? What metrics do I want to ship? What things can I personally have owned? What things can I have owned as a team? What things can I have delivered? And then be very conscious about how you do that and be conscious about finding opportunities to communicate that and, uh, and to, to put that message forwards. Um, and the other bit, I think, particularly when you get into marketing leadership role is, is one thing that's really helped in TSB is having a really clear narrative about where's the team going? You know, and I had a, a one-to-one with our CEO quite recently, and, you know, and she was playing that narrative back to me. And actually, that was so good. When you, when you get that, when you get someone who can play the marketing team narrative back, like, oh, I, I know that because we've talked about that. That's really good. And having that narrative is really important. So you know, marketing is seen as adding that value to the business. I know there's something Mark does brilliantly at Direct Line. Is, you know, what value is marketing doing? What's journeys marketing, marketing is on? And what are you personally doing? What the team doing? And everyone knowing that's really important. Otherwise, your people aren't going to sort of second guess this. They aren't going to know it. No one's a mind reader. So I think having that narrative is really key. And, and marketing, marketing is probably an overused expression, but often we're so focused on the external market, we forget to promote the benefit or value of the function we're in and the discipline we're in and what value that can bring to a business. Um, I'm uh, interested to know uh, what you'd say if I, if I asked, what's it like to work for Pete Markey? Ooh, I, I hope, and some of this I can, I can say by 360 feedback, it, it's, it's certainly high energy, you know, there's a pace to it and we get stuff done, but also a lot of fun as well. Yeah, we spend more time with the people we work with, maybe different this year, I guess, but more time usually with the people we work with than, than, than our nearest and dearest. And therefore, actually, I want people to be in a fun environment. It, it will be challenging. At times, it will be tough and busy. But I want people to feel energised, enjoy, and be in an environment where they have fun doing it. But also, as I say, one that is stretching for them and a chance for them to develop as well. Um, and I want people to, you know, I hope people feel really proud about the job they're doing and the impact they're making. Um, and I know empowerment is probably a very overused word, Mark, but I, I do, you know, I work in a style that people do feel very empowered. I, I don't, I'm not there to, 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 you know, take credit for people's work or do people's jobs for them. I, I remember the first leadership role I had at British Gas, I, I started off being just an awful leader where I was micromanaging the couple of people that worked for me. And they, they politely gave me a, 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 a verbal slap on that. And that, that was really necessary because, you know, as a leader, you're not there to micromanage the detail. You've got to liberate your people to be brilliant. You're obviously there to help course correct if things aren't quite right or to provide direction strategically. But for me, it's really important that, um, that people are, are liberated to, to, to be themselves and also do a job in their way. You know, one of the things that I, I hope people say is I've got a diverse leadership team where they're all quite different um, and that's good. And, and I value that difference of opinion and, and people are, 
in my leadership team and the wider team not afraid to speak up you know i've got an environment where if you don't agree with something you know let's have a conversation about it let's talk it through because you know i haven't got sort of this autonomy on on being right all the time you know i, I won't get things right all the time and i'd rather people came and challenged me over stuff and we worked through it than than someone said oh I, I, you know, this thing's happened and i wish i told you that three weeks ago so it's it's very open it's very empowering it's high energy it's it's tough but rewarding and it's fun. And that, that's, that's the main environment that I hope people would, would, would validate is what we've created, especially at TSB. Thank you. Um, we've got two key questions coming through that I just want to try and get some, get, get some of your responses to. Um, the first one, and they're quite diverse questions, so um, try and keep them, keep them brief because we're running short in time. So the first one's from Vince Lamprey. Uh, Vince, by the way, great to see you on, great to see your name pop up on the show. Um, so the first one is, hi, Pete, some great insights and stories. Thank you. Uh, do you find bringing some of your real life experience is helpful when working with people in your team who are facing challenges or struggling to find their direction? So question A and another, the next one is from Barney. Barney, lovely to see you as well. Um, so you wrote for campaign recently about how data and technology are, are now allowing marketers to do things that they've been wanting to do for 20 plus years. Are we entering a new golden era of marketing? Great. I'll, I'll start with that one first and work my way back to the other one. Yes, I think we are, Richie. I think technology platforms like Adobe, Salesforce, Thunderhead, because great technologies now that are properly giving real-time customer experiences. And I, I, I'm really excited about where we're going next, I think, for the opportunity to, to create really relevant, real-time connections with customers and communications that are more targeted and more relevant than ever. The caveat to that golden age is that I don't believe in a world where you know, AI is going to take over everything and the craft of a marketer will disappear. You know, and I think the danger, and I saw this happen at Aviva after I left, is that, that there's a danger when we focus so much on this great world of digital and data, the brand gets forgotten about and everyone obsesses about the funnel and optimization and, and all those things really matter. But, but I would never do that to the detriment of the importance of, of investment in your brand and brand health and investment in the wider customer experience. These are all levers you've got to work together on. So it is a golden age, but it's only a golden age if we don't take the craft of marketing. If we, if we take the craft of marketing and put it in the bin, it's not a golden age just for the sake of data. You've got to, you know, this is about making the craft of marketing sharper and better. So that's the answer to question one. The, the, the original question, again, a super question. I think you've got to bring yourself to work and be authentic. I, I, I remember early on in my career at British Gas, I got so into you know, being really good at my job. Someone bought me a, 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 po a postcard of C-3PO and I was only a couple of years in my career and they, they were being joking, but it's good to be saying, you're like a robot. You just kind of, you come in, you process and get stuff done. Da, 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 da. And I really took that to heart and went, you know what? That's a bit crap, isn't it? Being C-3PO, I don't want to be a robot. Actually, I've got to be a person. And that really challenged me to go, well, how much more of my, you know, you know my, my, my life and, and, and me I'm, I'm bringing to work. And, and um, so look, I think you have to bring your, your true self to work. You have to be authentic. Um, and actually people want to work for people. They don't want to work for robots, do they? So I think that's our opportunity to, to, to be human every day. Wonderful, Pete. Uh, so, so many gems, as ever, with the amazing guests that we're very lucky to have on. The time goes by in a flash far too quick. We could have chatted for a lot longer, but yeah, as I said, so many gems and lo lovely to get an insight to behind uh, the, you know, the person behind the career. So, so much. Thank you so much for having a, having the time for us today. Right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Um, just as a, a quick uh, outro, um, next week we have Victoria Fox, CEO of AAR, who um, helped clients to find their edge 
to achieve growth in creative ways. So um, uh, many of you know will know AAR. Uh, Victoria is 20 years agency side. She's on the exec committee of WACL, Women in Advertising Communications in London, uh, and has also been a global champion of women in business uh, for the, by the Financial Times two years in a row, which I think is a unique accolade. So Victoria will be another amazing guest. But for now, thank you so much, Pete. It's been a privilege to have you on and everyone have a great and safe weekend. Thanks for joining. Thank you.